Welcome to the Home Assistant Podcast, episode number two. I'm Dan, and tonight I'm joined by the same two co-hosts as last time. Hey guys. Hey guys, how are you going? Hey everybody. Alright, so we've got, uh, we, I'm just going to jump right into it with this one, and we have a massive, massive amount of news to talk about. And the first news is that we just have to really thank everyone for their support with this podcast. We've had an unbelievable amount of downloads and feedback and even someone's created a new module for home assistant which is just amazing so yeah just thank you for jumping on board and showing us that it's actually you know worthwhile and we actually have people listening i think i've I've been you know i've been updating the guys a bit over the past couple of weeks with the number of downloads we've been getting and it's just been blowing us away what's the download count now uh 1725 that's amazing. That's super neat. Yeah, so that's um, more than you know, my most popular podcast get in like two months. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so 0.46 was released um, was it last week. It was last week. Yeah. This weekend um, is the, the next release coming up this weekend. Yeah, so there, there are actually a couple of breaking changes in this one. Um, three with um, automation, actually. So automation, the automation state trigger is now ignoring attribute changes. Which I believe is things uh, like associated with the attribute of the entity, not the state. Is that right? Yes. yes. So, yeah, because if you're monitoring the state and an attribute changes, I think in the past it triggered that, um, auto, that triggered the automation rule, which is... Um, you know, it's a break. So, so if a device was on and then say the power level increased, it will no longer trigger the on event. Yes. Right. Perfect. Yeah. Um and a breaking change because of course everyone would have gotten used to it and now they've changed it to behave correctly. <laughs> and hopefully no one's relying <laughs> on the incorrect function. Um the after keyword is changing to at um because it is well, you know, describing it better. Mm-hmm. Um, it's only for the trigger, not yes. the conditions. I got caught out on that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you put a note in here, watch your final places. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. That's, uh, yeah. <laughs> got caught in that one too, so. Yeah. And um, above and below, if they're the same value, they won't trigger. So they, the values now have to be above as opposed to equal this value. Yes. Correct. So that is... Oh, it also makes sense because it's, you know, above and below, you expect it to, you know, be more than what you've specified. And I think I've actually come across that a few times and gone, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think this will avoid a lot of confusion, especially for new people starting out with Home Assistant. You know, why did this automation fire? What doesn't make sense? Now, when you're reading it, you know, it should fire at this time, it should be above this value as opposed to, these little quirks existing. Yeah. And, and and that goes back to kind of our simplification of home automation piece that we were talking about last episode, right? So. No, absolutely. Yeah, it's more logical, so. Yeah, yeah. Working to, you know, make the product a lot more, you know, less technically able, friendly, as, um, as um, Paulus mentioned on a um, YouTube video that he appeared on recently that, you know, things like Hast.io, they were kind of working to try and make it accessible to the masses. Yeah. Um, some other changes. Uh, you can now specify icons for presence devices. 
Um, that's been asked for a lot, so that's a good one. Yeah, hmm. I, I don't know why. That's that's actually a big one for me. It's it's one it's one of those things where it, it just makes things easier, right? Visually, when you're looking at something, it's just like, oh, okay, boom, this yeah. icon it, you associate to hmm. whatever. And right? you've like, been able, you could set an icon for everything, but not presence. Like, yeah, it's good that that's finally there. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, and yep. Netgear yeah. Arlo cameras, they made it. Yeah, no, that's a good one because those cameras are so cool. Yeah, hmm. And they're easily available cameras. as well. Yeah. yeah, so I've actually got a pair of those as well, right? And it, it's funny. So I actually stopped using them specifically because they weren't in Home Assistant. Um, <laughs> and well, that, that's one of two reasons. The other reason was the batteries were really expensive. So, um, right. But yeah, that's that's a, definitely a really uh, really nice to see addition in here. Mm. And file and some Z-Wave gets some uh, love with uh, a secure network key can now be set directly in the Home Assistant configuration YAML file which I think has been causing a lot of confusion for everyone that wants to use secure Z-Wave and didn't know where to add that key in. Now it's much simpler. So it was out in an external configuration file, wasn't it? It was, yeah. And it was it, depending on uh, your operating system, it was could be in a, a very random location. Gotcha. All right, so uh, upcoming features. Phil, do you want to take the lead on yeah, this? Yeah, so 0.47. So we are right in between the release cycles at the moment. So I've gone through and taken a look at what's coming up. A couple of new platforms. The first one, uh, people that love weather or can't get enough, Yahoo Weather Platform has just been added by Fabian. So that's a a good addition, uh, especially for those that want to fiddle around with API keys for Dark Sky or anything like that. Uh, Another one is the Sesame Smart Lock is now going to be supported. Now, for those that don't know, Sesame Smart Lock is a Kickstarter campaign that launched about two years ago. Uh, they haven't yet launched the Wi-Fi adapter. It's overdue. But uh, Trisk or Albert on GitHub has already put in a pull request for that new platform. So that's awesome that Home Assistant will officially support Sesame before Sesame even has released all their hardware. So great work there as well. Um, and now there's, we've also got uh, some new features that I thought were really cool. Um we were just talking about templates and icons before. The ability for uh, icons to be defined as a template, uh, which is really handy if you don't like your window sensors to have the on-off state in Home Assistant. You can now change them to open-close and have a little open-door, closed-door icon as well. I think That's that really cool. is a really cool one. Uh, there's also, uh, for people that have a Nest thermostat, you can now directly set the away and home modes for those thermostats i don't have nest do you any of you guys have nest no but i'm surprised that that wasn't a function and that that yeah new like I, I've yeah, got an maybe you, but... yeah perhaps there's a an api that's just become available but that's a, a really cool one to have i know a lot of automations uh people have do use the presence of you know is the nest in a way or home mode so it would be good to at least set that from mm. home system as well now and finally, a little one which I, I, I like is um, Radar, which is uh, very similar to uh, Sonar for people that want to manage their TV shows. Uh, radar Sensor is now coming into Home Assistant as well. Nice. Yeah. I didn't know that there was a Radar as well because I, I use Couch Potato, but I'm presuming that um, I might like Radar better. Yeah, I I, I did. Like I've, I flipped over to Radar from Couch Potato about a month 
or a month and a bit ago and it's it's so much nicer it's like it's so much easier to work with um and ra- relative to couch potato i've actually never gotten couch potato to work uh properly as it should it'll work for like three weeks and without me touching it, it'll randomly break so radar i've found to be more stable just like sona over sick beard yeah, yeah basically fantastic uh is it is it by the same people? Because it looks exactly the same. Yeah, so Radar is a fork of the Sonar project. I don't know if it's the uh, same people, but whoever, yeah, they've taken the code from Sonar and adapted it for movies. Yeah, it, it's UI-wise, it's pretty much exactly the same. So Awesome. Sorry, that was a massive sidetrack, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and then in general news, uh, we had a lot of uh, news for smart speakers coming out last month uh trigger warning i'm going to start using keywords so if you have an amazon echo or google home just chuck them on mute now uh so first up uh amazon recently announced their new echo show which is their video calling device and along with that they announced uh alexa device calling that was cool but now uh, in the last week they've very under the radar released uh, finally reminders and the ability to name your timers, uh, which I think uh, awesome. everyone has been asking for for a long time. So yeah. good to see mm-hmm. Amazon doing that. Um, with that, though, Google I.O. did announce that they will be launching Google Home in uh, some many new markets. Uh, Canada, I believe, has already gone on pre-sale for Google Home. Have you started yeah. seeing any ads or anything, Rowan? Have you pre-ordered Actually, one? Yeah, um, Best Buy has been doing crazy email marketing campaigns. Like every, uh, <laughs> pretty much every couple of days, I'm getting an email saying, "Hey, you can pre-order a Chromecast." Or sorry, pre-order a Google Home, and we'll toss in a Chromecast for free, kind of thing. Um, so they're the only ones that I've seen that I follow. Uh, I'm sure there's others out there that are doing it as well. Remember, I think um, so. It's definitely in the huge. US. Yeah, it was a, a launch partner as well in the US when the Google Home came out. Yeah, so, so what's, that makes sense. It, it's it, it does, but what's what's actually going to be interesting for me now is this actually puts them behind the Echo. So the Echo is still not available here in Canada. Absolutely. So um, that's always been a huge request for people, right? Like, I mean, there's actually forums dedicated to or websites dedicated to getting how do you get a Echo in Canada? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you guys have. Uh, Amazon has an official pre- uh, presence in Canada, don't they? They do. There is an Amazon.ca website, which makes it even worse, right? Because you've got the presence, you've got all this, you own the licensing. Absolutely. Uh, for the most part, at least from what I know. I don't know if there's any patent infringements or something that they're stepping on if they come into Canada. That could be, but or it, I'm not sure what it is. But um, even now, for me, with my with my Echoes, I actually have to say, hey, what's the weather in Toronto, Canada? Rather than, hey, what's the weather? Yeah, exactly the same here. And what's really annoying is uh, Amazon seem to be, you know, fighting against international users outside of, you know, uh, the UK, Germany, or the US. If you don't live in those three countries, you mm. can't specify what your address is for the weather. Whereas if you were to import a Google Home device, it will happily use any location you've got already in your Google account. So I think, you know, Amazon really have to be careful here. They're really getting threatened by Google Home now, launching into five markets compared to their three. 
Uh, Still no love for New Zealand with either product, though. (laughs) That's okay. No one remembers (laughs) New Zealand. They just think you're an island off Australia anyway, so. Yeah, it's like... It's like all the maps that miss New Zealand. Yeah. <laughs> New Zealand's the last to see anything. It's really, I believe there's a subreddit sucks. for just that, you know, maps without New Zealand. Oh, yes, on there Reddit. is. Yeah. <laughs> That's really funny. Yeah, because I have, I have an echo and three dots um, placed around the house, and it's such a pain. And it's, it doesn't do very well with my New Zealand accent either. Of yeah. You probably have similar problems with your Australian accent, Phil. Yeah, yep, definitely. You, sometimes you have to pronounce Melbourne as a, an American <laughs> accent, as you can. No way, that's funny. Yeah, I, I don't seem to have that problem here, I guess. It's just <laughs> Canada but it is surprising that Amazon are dragging their feet launching in Canada, uh, where they already have a presence. There's rumors that Amazon are launching here in Australia sometime in 2017. Uh, will they bring Alexa out here? Not so sure just yet. But what was even more interesting now is last week uh, the Apple Developers Conference came out where Apple announced the new HomePod, which yes. they were very specific in not calling it a smart speaker. But I do think uh, they are going to go for the smart speaker market eventually. Um at the moment, they're aiming it as a competitor to Sonos speakers with multi-room audio, but it does have Siri baked in. And what is the eventual plan with the relaxation of the Homebridge software hardware requirements? You can now, uh, once you buy a Homebridge, sorry, a HomePod, you'll be able to control any Homebridge compatible devices. So, you know, Siri, turn on the living room lights will be something that you can say, to this dedicated speaker. So they're not calling it a smart speaker yet, but once more companies come on board, I think uh, Apple will have a competing product against Alexa and Google Home, definitely. But what was interesting is they're launching in December this year, uh, mm. and their launch countries are actually going to be uh, Australia, the United States, and the UK. So the US and UK, where Google Home and Amazon Echo are already launched, they are obviously getting the HomePod straight away, but also Australia, where at the moment neither device is launched, is also set to get it. Google Home is coming here sometime probably around September, I would say, for Australia. Yeah, it's really so, interesting that you're getting it in Australia, and yeah. I'm a little, a little annoyed that they're doing multi-room audio because I've invested thousands of dollars in Sonos speakers and I just can't justify, even though we're an Apple household, I cannot justify the move. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's interesting is the speakers only uh, available for Apple Music. There's no Spotify. There's uh, no Pandora. You literally have to be tied in. Like, you're going to have to love Apple Music yeah, if you want to use and, that HomePod. And this is kind of my problem with the Apple ecosystem, right? Um, I mean, even if you look at Siri, it's great but it's not a echo or it's not a google home um Mm -hmm. they're they're really trying to capture that market and i don't know i feel like they're almost i don't want to say they're missing it but um i don't i don't think it's as fully flushed out yet as the other two you know sorry uh not sorry um amazon echo is going to be tying in with sonos at some point which is awesome because at the moment uh, Alexa can't hear me if there's music playing on the Sonos. Yes, yeah, I have that problem uh, too. Overriding it. Although, on that topic, uh, 
they did promise that was coming out uh, first quarter of 2017. Uh, about a month ago, Sonos pulled their advertising video promising the Alexa integration of their YouTube channel. Uh, so oh. the video is there. It's just been unlisted. So I'm not sure if that means there's not going to be uh, an Alexa Sonos integration or if the advertised integration isn't going to work. Huh. That's mm. interesting. It's uh, and, and uh, I mean, the other piece with, with this whole Apple thing um, is, is I don't see them really opening it up uh, like in terms of me being able to slap Siri on a bunch of devices as well. Right. Apple likes to keep their control. I'm hoping that's the case that they do. I don't know if they talked about it, but um, as an example, the uh, Ecobee four, um, which ironically is not available in Canada. It's a Toronto-based company. Uh, so the Echo B4 is supposed to uh, embed uh, the Alexa capabilities into it, and which is which is super neat. So I can walk by to my thermostat and say, "Hey, turn on the lights" or something like that. I I don't see an Apple doing something like that, unfortunately. Absolutely not. And I think Alexa uh, has a Raspberry Pi version available for developers to use. Uh, and so does the Google Assistant. You can get Google Assistant on the Raspberry Pi for your yeah. little DIY projects. Exactly. So, and, and and I can't see Apple allowing that for Siri. No, and that's the problem. So, so yeah, I think uh, from my point of view, being a biased Australian, I think Amazon uh, really need to do something here. They've got Google and Apple coming after them now, and I am afraid that. Alexa's days are going to be numbered unless they really open up to more international markets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I second that. So hopefully uh, next year we'll have better news of where Alexa's coming to. Yeah, and I'm, I hope everyone has actually muted their um, Amazon Echoes. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. I think there was, wasn't there a Super Bowl ad where it was... Um, the Amazon Echo order this thing, and a whole lot of people's um, Amazon Echoes did yeah. order whatever it was. There was also was. A, a news report in one of the states in the US where they were talking about uh, a, a girl. She said, uh, Alexa, order me a dollhouse. And then, obviously, a dollhouse got ordered to the parents. So then the news team decided to run a news article about this for the 6 p.m. news, and everyone watching the 6 p.m. news had a dollhouse ordered for them. So Amazon had a lot of <laughs> refunds to issue. That's funny. Um, Burger King did some kind of advertising uh, like that as well uh, in North America. I, I don't That's remember right. what platform it was for. It was it was either for the Echo or the Google Home, and uh, they basically they basically utilized it. But their entire campaign was based on it, which I think was kind of cool. Which I think I think it was Google Home, and they Google quickly shut that down. They were able to detect when that ad was playing and ignore. Whatever yeah. is being said. Yeah, it's a bit scary, really, isn't it? <laughs> I, I have friends that mess with the Echo all the time when they visit. Yeah, and and I really just like to point out a whole bunch of people probably do have dollhouses ordered now because I'm pretty sure we did <laughs> we did say that. So, <laughs> our bad. Yeah, they need to add, you know, like voice print recognition or something really futuristic like that to. Uh, so you have to, you know, register the people who are allowed to use it in your house. 
Yeah, and and actually, it's funny you mentioned that. So that's actually one of the things where. So again, like I said, I've got a couple of echoes around the house, um, but Google Home can now do that uh, capability where yeah, if I talk, who's talking exactly versus somebody else, right? So, and that's something that you know Alexa's been people have been asking Alexa to do for quite some time as well. Yes. Yeah. It's uh, that one I heard was a that one as well as uh, whole home audio for for the Echo. I heard was a and again I don't know how true this is, but I heard it was a patent thing, which makes sense why they were trying to partner with Sonos, perhaps. Yeah. yeah. Hey everyone, I just wanted to take a minute to talk about the Eufy Video Lock. It's a smart lock that's really easy to set up with just a Phillips screwdriver and no extra drilling. It's got a keyless entry, so you don't need to worry about fumbling with the keys when your hands are full. Also, you don't need to worry about handing out extra keys when you're in a pinch, your kids losing them, or people copying the key and passing it around to each other. Something else I like about the Eufy Video Lock is that it has a camera built in and it works as a doorbell as well. Personally, I think the Eufy Video Lock is great for apartments or cottages where you can't necessarily add extra holes for a video doorbell. My favorite part about it though is that there isn't a monthly fee and your recordings are locally stored, so you don't have to worry about someone else owning your doorbell data. You can find it on Amazon, or if you want to know more, search Eufy Video Lock, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. All right, I think that's it for the news, is it? Yeah, that's it for the news. I think so. Thanks for pulling all that together, Phil. That's all right. Um, so we had a, uh, actually a few requests. I had an email from someone. I'm really sorry. I can't remember what your name was. Um, asking for exactly what uh, Bluetooth presence I was using. So I sent him the links and all my configuration and everything so that he could set it up. Um, and I think we had a couple of requests and comments and reddit and all over the place <laughs> actually i think it was the Gitter chat room uh that specific one anyway um yeah so for the, our first focus topic i thought we'd talk about bluetooth presence um which comes in multiple forms um i'll do i'll give you a bit more of a summary about mine and then phil's gonna tell us about his as well and i think rowan's even started to get into the Bluetooth low energy, so maybe yeah, literally as about yesterday. that as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm using um, iBeacons. They're just generic, you know, like $10 iBeacons that arrive. Um, and I can't remember if I said this last time or not, but they come with a default ID. So I probably spent a couple of hours going, why is it telling me that all these beacons are all in all in all the rooms at the same time? And it's because all the beacons come with a default ID and you actually have to program them. Um, I didn't realize that, so it took me a while to figure that out. So that's something very important to check if you are going to get into iBeacons. And I'm using Happy Bubbles, <laughs> which is a ridiculous name. Um, so is Happy Bubbles <laughs> the software or is it a, a hub? It's it's the I guess it's the product name. Um all due respect to the creator of Happy Bubbles, but it's a terrible name. <laughs> um, basically, it's a, a ESP, um, what is it, 286? Um, or whatever it is, I can't I can Yeah, the 8266 probably. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Um, yeah, so it's that with a Bluetooth low energy module basically added to it. 
um, and some software, and it just publishes all the Bluetooth low-energy devices it can see um, with their ID and the signal strength. And when I plugged them in, I had like 30 Bluetooth low-energy devices, you know, like um, all our phones and my lock. Smartwatch or door. Smartwatch, doors, um, Apple TV, (laughs) just everything. All our computers as well. It was just unbelievable. It's like, wow, that's a lot of Bluetooth. And, of course, because it's low energy, you're not kind of seeing it in, like, the pairing, like, these devices are around you. Um, but these, the heavy bubbles are detecting them, and, it, yeah, it publishes to MQTT, and you can just consume it that way. But it also has a presence server, which um, takes the topics. So, basically, it's publishing to heavy bubbles slash um, beacon slash ID, and it takes all the data and collates it together and publishes a Home Assistant topic um, with the name you've given the beacon and the name of the receiver that it's closest to. So I've got uh, four receivers basically in the four outer corners of my house um, to you know keep them as far away from each other as possible. So that tells me um, with pretty decent accuracy actually uh, where the tokens are. And so you wear these tokens in your wallet or in your pocket and just walk around the house to detect where you are in the house? Yeah, so, (laughs) funny story, I said to my wife, so there's two options for keeping the lights on when you're in the room and not moving. One of them requires you to carry a token around with you everywhere you go, and the other one is (laughs) (laughs) $1,000. I think Ben... um, uh, home assistant community member did a review video on the other one which is the um, kind of echolocation grid thing uh, yes the Xandom what... smart home I believe it's called yeah. yeah yeah so that's but by the time you buy 10 of the devices and import it into New Zealand it was about a thousand New Zealand dollars which is about you know, 600 US <laughs> which yeah, is a lot of money still pretty steep yeah so she, she chose to carry the um I beacon. <laughs> Interesting. So was there was there uh, any options to use uh, Bluetooth presence from your mobile phone or anything like that, like using a virtual token or something like that? Or Yes. Yeah, so absolutely. Um, but we're terrible at leaving our phones behind in rooms. So yeah. um, it's easier to um, have the, the um, iBeacon on a carabiner and then just clip it onto whatever clothes you're wearing that day so then you don't forget it. Interesting. That's cool. Um, yeah. Um, Very interesting. Yeah. So that's, that's it's really cool, and it works really well. It's there's about a I don't know, three or five second delay because it waits for you know so that it doesn't you know your location doesn't change as you walk past um, mm-hmm. the various receivers. It waits for five or ten um, beacons before it changes its mind as to where you are. So does that mean you would walk into, say, the bedroom and there'll be a bit of lag time before the lights would turn on? Yeah, I've paired it with motion sensors. Okay, great. So motion sensors turn the lights on and then the eye beacons keep the lights on. So that way it's instant. (laughs) Yes, that's much more user-friendly. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like I said in the last podcast, it's all about combining data. It's not about having, you know, one solution. It's about linking them all together, which gives you the power. 
Yeah, unfortunately, there's no perfect, right? There's no one single silver bullet solution where you can say, hey, this will do everything for me. So Exactly. I did see, um, you know, speaking of like room presence and everything, so one of the really old, like old time um, home automation blogs, this guy was using Mr. House. <laughs> um, and he built basically an IR brake sensor um, into the door frame. And he mm. had it um, at the front and the back of the door frame. So as you walked into the room, you'd break one and then the other. And as you walked out of the room, you'd break the other You'll one do it first. the other way, yep. So oh, that way it could keep a, a, a perfect count of um, who, how many people, people were, were in room. each room. Um, and it, it, it's so funny because he's talking about, you know, like sprinting through doors, trying to check the sensor, and apparently it was pretty much perfect. That's really um, neat. But that kind of requires, you know, drilling holes in door frames, so that's not really an ideal yeah. solution. <laughs> yeah, you'd also need a way to make sure that you can keep count of how many people are in a room at any one time. Keep that count accurate. Yeah. Yeah. And it gets a bit tricky if you've got multiple ways to get into a room, I guess, as well. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's there's it's it's interesting because in the uh in the I guess office world or the professional world, this is this is actually a challenge, right? How do we count people? How do we from an from an emergency perspective? Yeah. Right? If you're off even in retail thing. Retail like to know how many customers are coming into a store just for their stats. Yeah, so professionally, I, I actually work with quite a bit of that kind of stuff uh, in terms of how do we do, how do we how do you map people, right? Like, what's what are some hot zones? What are some cold zones? It's it, it's Bluetooth itself is actually a really interesting um, technology for a lot of that kind of stuff. BLE specifically, right? Bluetooth Low Energy. So it's it, it is pretty cool in terms of what we're doing. I found it fascinating to learn that um, our road story here in Melbourne. They uh, have Bluetooth uh, beacons set up on traffic lights, and as your car goes past with your Bluetooth-enabled radio, they'll uh, detect where you are at that time and then be able to use you moving down the road to see how fast traffic is moving and then adjust the road signs to say, you know, traffic's busy up here and your estimated time of arrival is going to take you 12 minutes based Mm -hmm. on the Bluetooth in your car radio traveling down this road. Yeah, yes, isn't it? I was gonna say there's 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 a slight Big Brother aspect to that too, but <laughs> but uh, and and that's the other thing, right? Is is privacy around all of this as well? Like when it's in your own house, it's sure you and your family or you and you know whoever you're with, but uh, when it goes outside, there's there's tons of concerns. Big Brother is always watching. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I've kind of resigned myself to it now. It's like Google location history. Google knows everywhere that you've been if you have a phone that tracks it. And then at the end of the month, you'll get, you may have visited three new places this month. Click here to see what they were. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. And then then there's other ones where, like, different cloud services where you opt in, right? So as I was saying earlier uh, to you guys, I was, I I invested in the tracker devices or track R. which again is a basically a cloud-based service that I'm consenting, saying, "Hey, here's here was my last known location of my keys of my car." Yeah. Right. So. All right. So I have a. Uh, I'm also using Bluetooth in my apartment here. 
uh, haven't gone the iBeacons route. We are literally just using our phone. So I, my fiance has a iPhone and I have a Google Pixel Android phone. And we literally have one of those USB Bluetooth trackers. It's the size of your thumb plugged in to my home assistant computer. And as soon as we walk into the apartment, maybe within 30 seconds, our phones are detected and lights start switching on and the house knows we are home. Uh, it's great for an apartment, but if we had a house where, you know, multiple rooms, multiple floors, we'd probably need to go something like you've done, Dan, and look into beacons and multiple stations which can monitor where people are coming in from. Mm-hmm. So what what would you guys say would be an advantage of going Bluetooth over something like a, uh, like a Zigbee or, or Z-Wave or some kind of um, other presence sensor? Yeah, I think it's Bluetooth, everyone, yeah, it's, it's very mm. cheap. Everyone has Bluetooth. So uh, if you've got a, a guest staying over, they've got their Bluetooth on their, their phone that you can easily track. They don't have to sign up to your Wi-Fi network or anything like that as soon as you find out what their MAC address is on their phone. You can just add that to Home Assistant. They don't need to enable anything else. That's it. It's literally set and forget. Yeah. Yeah, that's the problem with an automated home is, uh, you know, teaching the guests how to use the house. Yes. (laughs) The house now comes with an instruction manual. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, we haven't actually had any guests since I've really kind of got into it this time around, so it hasn't been a problem yet, but no doubt it will. Uh, still haven't quite decided how to fully tackle it yet. I have a uh, an input Boolean switch uh, when guests are staying, it turns on and off, disables certain automations for them that they wouldn't understand necessarily. Right. I think yeah, that's that makes sense. the best way to go. I'm I'm doing the exact same thing, Phil. Yeah, it's probably not a bad idea actually. <laughs> <laughs> I really I really should get my um my HA config into Git so that people can see it because I've got you know, we've been talking about all this stuff and people go, How have you configured that? And it'd be much easier to, you know, go Point well, here's to the GitHub. Where repo. it is, yeah. 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 Yeah, the I think that's one of my favorite things about the community though, is how many people have done that. I've learned more from looking at other people's config than I ever did from the docs. Oh, absolutely. And it's interesting to see how many people can do uh, the same thing, but in different ways. Some people will use (laughs) a script and have arguments for that script. Another person might use a scene or someone will just do it purely in automation. So there's definitely, you can pick up a lot of different ways to do things as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's fascinating how many different ways people have worked out how to do things. You know, all these undocumented things as well that people have worked out how to do. Absolutely. Um, so at the top of the show, I mentioned that um, someone's built a little package for Home Assistant for our podcast, which I thought was really, really cool. Um, basically, a, um, a, a YAML file pretty much has been created, which will um, send you a nice little alert when a new episode of our podcast has been released. I was, I was pretty actually pretty pleased about that. Cause it's like, well, you actually care enough about the podcast to you know know as soon as it comes out. I thought it was a, a great yeah. use for the RSS component as well. So great work, Carlos. Yeah, and a, yeah, a use a of the component that I didn't know was possible. I think that we ended up actually getting through that a bit faster than I thought. We're at about 40 minutes, 
but I think that's that's not too bad of an episode. That's you know a kind of an average commute in a decent sized city. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and as much as I enjoy listening to three hour podcasts, when you pick up the um pick up on it again, you kind of have to go back ten minutes to get back into the yes, conversation. Yeah. <laughs> so I think I like the idea of you know short little bits. Um. I'm going to edit this bit out because my brain's gone blank, but we do have someone coming on to talk about something in the next episode, I believe. Uh, You have Peter from Melbourne talking about the... Plan. Yeah, floor plan. There you go. A a little tease for next podcast in two weeks. We have Peter um, coming on to talk about floor plan, um, which is an awesome, awesome... um, a functionality which gives you, you know, a nice map of your house. I still need to get around to actually, like, because our house is so old, we don't have plans for it. So I need to, you know, get get out the um, the laser um, tape measure and actually work out <laughs> the dimensions of my house to map it out properly. Um, so basically, yeah, you take a vector graphic form and you, you know, put on your sensors and your lights and your switches and everything like that. So a nice little map of where people are in the house and what's being occupied, I guess. Really yeah, smart. Yeah, he's agreed to, to come on on episode three. And I think we might be getting, uh, Ben on, on episode four as well. So he'll oh, be bravo. very interesting to talk to. Yes. Um, and we should probably, um, Extend an invite to Paulus to join us at some point as well. He did say that he didn't want to be, you know, deeply involved in the podcast, but I'm sure he'd like to come on and have a chat anyway. Yeah, it'd be definitely cool to pick his brain too, so. <laughs> and it's going to have to be careful we don't turn it into a support session. <laughs> <laughs> as tempting as that might be. Uh, thanks, guys. I think that's a perfect place to wrap it up. Perfect. Thank you very much, guys. Thanks a lot. See you next time. Cheers. Bye-bye.